just because you can do something interactively doesn't necessarily mean that's the best way to tell the story. That's Katie Zhu. She's currently working on product and engineering at Medium. What she's talking about is her passion for journalism and interactive technology and how blending the two together in order to tell a better story is something she's always been interested in doing. And it carries over into her work today at Medium. This is Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Today we're speaking with Katie Zhu, an engineer turned product manager at Medium. Medium is a social publishing platform that allows anyone to share ideas and perspectives that matter. Medium now reaches over 30 million readers a month, has explored new formats like series, audio posts, and much more. After internships with both NPR and the New York Times, Katie decided to make a big decision and join Medium over other tech companies. At Medium, Katie's had the chance to work on several parts of the platform and continues to help creators and storytellers push the limits of their craft. Katie joins us to share her story, how she's optimized her career for learning, what it's been like working on developing new tools for writers and storytellers on Medium, how she approaches product management, and more. So let's get started. Hey, Katie. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're looking forward to kind of diving deeper into your approaches of product management and engineering and your time at Medium. But before we dive into that, where are you from and what did you study? So I was born in Grand Forks, North Dakota and lived there until I was like two-ish. Then we moved to Fargo, which is where my sister was born, also in North Dakota. And then we moved to Peoria, Illinois and, you know, was there until I was about 10-ish. And we moved around a lot for my dad's job. So lived in um, Geneva, Switzerland, Singapore, and then Beijing is where I went to high school. And I went to college in uh, Chicago, outside of Chicago at, uh, at Northwestern. And then I moved out to San Francisco, which is where I'm at now, currently live in Oakland. So yeah, kind of all over-ish, but now my parents are in the suburbs of Chicago, so that's kind of home base for me now. Nice. So through all the traveling that you had as a child, how did your passion for engineering and technology like really develop? I think it probably started for me when I was in seventh grade. And this is when we were living in Singapore and Neopets was like popping off. Also Zanga, I think was like a huge thing. And people just were doing the blogging thing, sort of, you know, channeling their teen angst through online media and stuff. And so it started with really basic stuff. Like I wanted to make a cool Neopets guild that was Harry Potter themed. So I learned how to do like HTML and Photoshop 2.0 or whatever it was at the time um, mm -hmm. to design these like cool guild landing pages and like recruit people to join my online Neopets community guild. Um, and also doing sort of similar theme type stuff for, you know, Zanga. I guess even before then, like GeoCities, I just really loved making like dumb websites that were, you know, had the crazy cursors and like all the fun design patterns of the 90s. I think it was really just kind of like a tool for expression and mostly just like, I didn't really think about the technology side of it as, you know, deeply as obviously we do today, but it was more just like a means to an end for me to like make dope shit on the internet and like hang out. So that was kind of how it grew for me, but I never really considered myself into computer science or technology or really remotely technical at all. Like my passions growing up were really writing and reading and history and English was, you know, more of my strong subject, not sort of math and science. And I actually went to school 
for journalism. So Medill at Northwestern uh, is journalism school there. And I didn't start double majoring in computer science until about halfway through college. What, what sparked the transition from journalism to technology? Yeah. So at the time, Northwestern has a lot of on-campus student publications, which are great. And it's like, you know, a fun group of people just getting together to make something sort of bigger. So the Daily Northwestern is one of the oldest student-run newspapers. That's like a print newspaper. And I think it's Evanston's only daily newspaper. But it was kind of for like the more traditional, I'm not going to say stodgy, but like, you know, very, very traditional sort of like journalism. And then there was this other thing called North by Northwestern, which was like this online, had a magazine, but mostly online daily website that was kind of more alt, like trying new things kind of stuff. So they did a lot of cool things for online interactive features. And they had what was called like an interactive desk at the time. And before I got to college, they had built this app, essentially, that was, you know, trying to figure out which dorm you want to live in. And they had taken a bunch of information like room size and, you know, access to bathrooms and other sort of building amenities and built it into this like intense flash graphic. I remember using that to like, figure out my dorm choices and stuff and just thinking that was super cool. So I was like, I'm going to work for them when I get to campus and joined the sort of interactive team there. I met a really good friend, my really good friends today, Emily, who sort of taught me the very basics of Flash. And, you know, Flash was all the rage then. So was kind of learning ActionScript 3 really as a means to like tell stories. And again, just like do dope shit, like because it looked really cool and I thought it was fun. Yeah, it's, fun, so it kind it's of, funny like, to like reflect back that at a time where, you know, Flash was such a big thing. And like now today, it's like we got that announcement that Flash is, you know, going to be gone finally in 2020s. I know it's crazy because I remember when it came out. I mean, when um, the iPad came out and iPhone, I guess, and Steve Jobs was like, no flash. I was like, that's crazy. Like flash is the thing, like blah, blah, blah. And it's just been really wild to think back for its downfall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So kind of going through, I guess, your early career after a few internships, you ended up joining NPR and then later the New York Times as an interactive news intern. So how did you create the opportunity to join these teams? And what were these first few experiences like for you? So I think a lot of it was really kind of being in the right place at the right time. So when I was studying, when I started doing like journalism and sort of like the more interactive lens and like learning, you know, Flash and JavaScript and other uh, just basically learning how to code and tell stories through that medium. I think that was still pretty early and undefined. And so I think there was a lot of opportunity and excitement around people who could blend both. So I think a big part of it was that, but then also just really like going after kind of what I was interested in. And for me, studying sort of like a mix of computer science and journalism, you know, I went to like a lot of journalism conferences as well, like in school and just putting yourself out there and meeting people, talking to people and building connections. And I think that was really a big part of, you know, how I was able to land those gigs um, just from talking about work. And I think also Twitter played a pretty big role because um, even if you're not able to sort of fly and attend conferences in person or, you know, network IRL, um, the internet has made it really easy for you to show your work and just kind of talk about the work that you do. Um, So stuff that, you know, I'd be learning in school or kind of side projects that I'd be hacking on or stuff that I was doing, you know, for the for the student publication, I would share online. And there was kind of a small community of, you know, sort of news nerds is what we sort of called ourselves at the time. Um, People in in journalism, Hacks and Hackers was a group that came up also. So like computer, like computer programmers, as well as journalists, um, and sort of just about like using the internet to find your people and your communities, and then like talking about work. And again, just sort of like building, building those connections and putting yourself out there. So I think that was a big part of that process for me. And yeah, I mean, NPR and the times were amazing. Like I really, every day going to work and going into those buildings was like, ah, is this like really real? Like that was, that was definitely, definitely wild. 
And the teams that I worked with were, were such great people. Like at NPR, I you know got to pair a lot with uh, two of the senior developers on the team, and they really treated me like a full teammate, not like just the intern. I, mean, I got to write a bunch of code, work on projects independently. I got to write blog posts as well. So just kind of like getting the whole experience of a real job. And then at the time, similarly, I, I worked more independently at the time. So the team was bigger. So I kind of had one project over the course of the summer. Um, but I really got to own that end to end. And yeah, learn from some like really awesome, smart people. And I think my favorite thing about being in, in journalism is just like the people that you meet and get to work with all have really interesting and sort of non-traditional backgrounds. Like we all kind of found our way to programming like for journalism through different paths. There wasn't like a very sort of canonical, you know, I went to Stanford and then I, you know, uh, dropped out of school and then got this tech job at a startup or, or whatever. So I think there was just more more range, um, which I really got to learn a lot from. And it was really fun and feel really lucky that I got to have, have those experiences. That's really cool. And so like, as you guys are pulling together like new technologies and taking new approaches to storytelling and journalism, what were some of the biggest lessons you learned about mixing, you know, technology and, and reporting together or just in terms of approaching leveraging new technologies to, to dive deeper into stories? What was that like? I think a big takeaway for me was just because you can do something interactively doesn't necessarily mean that's the best way to tell the story. So really trying to find the best medium for the story itself. And I think at the beginning or the earlier sort of, as you were saying, mixing of technology in terms of, of storytelling, there was a lot of stuff that was, you know, really cool, leveraging a lot of really awesome technology and stuff like that. And I think more of a bias towards like, oh, we should use HTML5 or animations because we can. And I think being able to discern and say like, in this case, for this information, a graphical representation actually makes the most sense or actually words are the best way to tell this story and to convey this information because at the end of the day, it's about you know informing the public and making sure readers understand the work that you're putting out there. So I think that was a big takeaway for me. And just in terms of sort of usability, like I think, especially for me being early on, uh, you know, in my career and like the very eager intern to like use a bunch of uh, the crazy new shit uh, was just like, okay, well, also we should make it usable because that's like the goal of, you know, the, the stuff that we're doing and, and that work. So I think that was a big thing for me. For sure. I love the crazy new shit. Yeah. <laughs> All about the crazy new shit. Yeah, exactly. So you then joined Medium in October of 2013. Can you tell us a bit more about what Medium does and, and how you created the opportunity to join the team there? Let's see. What is Medium? Great question. I would say, so Medium really is like a platform for anyone to write and share their story. You know, when we launched in 2012, really the way that you wrote on the internet was either for a publication or you had to go through sort of the longer process of actually setting up a blog. And it was like this whole big thing. If you had an idea, you couldn't just write it somewhere. So really that was where we started in terms of that very specific problem. But Medium, you know, today is like this amazing platform of stories and ideas and perspectives that I think otherwise would wouldn't be shared in the world. So you can kind of come and read things that matter to you and also write if you want. And yeah, it's just kind of like online writing platform situation. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm a huge fan of Medium and I often find myself there on a daily basis, even just like re reading content or just like learning, you know, learning new things. But how did you create the opportunity to join the team there? Yeah, so that's a fun story. Let's see. So when they first launched and it was like, you know, limited invite only, I was still in school and, you know, I'd been preparing my like resume and portfolio and list of places that I wanted to apply to. Uh, Medium was like very high on that list, but it was like filed away in a folder that was like maybe someday, like when you've done more shit and like have more under your belt, you'll be qualified to apply for this position. And so I kind of fell into the basic recruiting season situation on college campuses that happen in the fall. Like the big companies come to campus and Northwestern is 
isn't a very, like, I think the CS program is great, but like, it's not, you know, like a Stanford or a Berkeley in terms of CS. So it's not like a lot of small startups or newer companies are coming, you know, out to Chicago to the Midwest to recruit. So a lot of it was bigger companies. So I ended up applying to like Microsoft and Amazon and sort of going through the interview process there. And then also with Twitter at the time. And so I'd actually accepted an offer <laughs> with Twitter, um, like in December. And then the CTO of Medium at the time had reached out to me, Don uh, Neufeld, who was like, hey, you know, we're hiring, you know, new grads. Or he had followed me on Twitter before that. And I followed him back. And I was like, oh, tight, like CTO of Medium, like, obvious, like, follow back or whatever. So he DM me and was like, hey, we're hiring interns slash new grads. If you're interested, like, I think you'd be great, sort of given your background. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I've actually, like, already, you know, accepted this position, but definitely will keep in mind for future opportunities and blah, blah, blah. But then I came out to visit my supposed team at Twitter, would be team at Twitter. And uh, Don was like, hey, you should also just like come by the medium office. They came by, like met some people and hung out. And medium is a very thoughtful company. And so we have, you know, guided meditation as part of, you know, the benefits of working here and really trying to instill a culture of being thoughtful and mindful throughout work and and personal lives. So I think that day was a meditation day. And Don was like, oh, you want to like meditate with us? And I was like, oh, for sure. And, you know, wide-eyed college kid, like showing up at this San Francisco startup, really knowing nothing about the industry. And I don't know if you know, like, at Fat on Twitter, who invented Bootstrap, but I'd followed him for a while because of Bootstrap. And I was like, oh, dope, whatever. But he worked at Medium. So I was like, kind of fangirling over that situation. So I go into like the meditation space. And it's like Don, Fat, and uh, Ev. And they're like, close your eyes and like, you know, breathe in. And I was like, what? I, I cannot. I can't do that right now. It was just like a very surreal experience. But yeah, then from there, you know, just kind of ended up pursuing the opportunity and talking more to Medium and going through the interview process. And it actually was a like a very stressful decision for me to make to join Medium because I'd already accepted this previous offer. My Asian parents were like already disappointed that I didn't go work at Microsoft or Amazon. <laughs> They're like, okay, fine, like Twitter, at least we know what Twitter is. And I was like, JK, I think I want to go to Medium. And they were like, well, mm, yeah, no. And so that was like a really big point of contention with me and my parents, which sounds like a kid-ish thing to say, but this was like a really big, like the first big life decision that I made, you know, as like a young adult. So that was like really counter to what my parents wanted me to do. I think I've always been a more like, as much as I pretend to be a rebel, like end up doing the things that are expected of me in life. But, you know, it took a lot of time to, to make that decision. And I think for me, what it came down to was like just passion for the mission and the work that we're doing. Like on for Twitter, I would have joined the observability team and my rationale was really getting to level up my technical skills and learn more, but it wasn't really tied to media or journalism at all. So that gave like medium a leg up and then also just more broadly I think as a new grad and like for your first job joining a company that is growing where you have room to sort of optimize for like growing into jobs that you're not really qualified to do and have those opportunities once you're in a position. So I think at a company like Twitter, which was, you know, 2000 people at the time, you have a specific role and you're hired to do that role. And, you know, there is career movement and, and stuff like that, but the process is more formal. Whereas I think at a smaller company, you really have opportunity to just kind of like make your own path sort of to an extent. So in thinking about what I wanted from my first job, I was really trying to optimize for like room to grow and learn. So yeah, ended up choosing Medium. And then yeah, for like my one year anniversary card thing, uh, I was like, glad you joined this company instead of like the other company I founded. And I was like tight. So that's kind of the story. Long, long story of how I came to wow, Medium. That's, a, that's an amazing story. It's very, very <laughs> unique. And I'm glad that you definitely pursued the, the Medium route where you're able to kind of really blend in, the, you know, the technology and journalism. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been really great. It's, it's funny that again, you know, looking back hindsight as well, I was 2020. But at the time, I remember thinking it was like, oh, like, I don't know, this is a crazy, crazy decision. But now it's like obvious in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what have been some of the projects you've had the chance to work on over the years? 
Yeah. So I've worked on a bunch of things. I built the initial sort of social backend. So when I joined, like Medium didn't have any social layer, didn't have any people following. So I worked on a project to help build the sort of initial support and backend for that. And that was sort of my first big project. Worked a lot on the editor. I think I started sort of doing more full stack stuff, but my experience and what I was interested in was more front end. So when I started at Medium, I was hired as a full-time engineer. And then about a year, year and a half in, I started thinking about what, like in terms of sort of career trajectory and other things I wanted to be doing, like I felt like I learned a lot and grew technically. But for me, technology was never the end goal. It was always like a means to an end. And I would talk to friends and they'd be like, oh, Medium's great. And it's like perfect for your interests. I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. But then thinking about it, I wasn't really using any of the, you know, sort of media journalism experience that I had. And so I kind of fell into product from thinking about it from that lens, like being able to bridge more of that gap. So from there, like, I mean, I worked a lot on editor and that was still as, as an engineer, some front end stuff and just general kind of, you know, post page layout and some of the iterations that we went through there. And then once I sort of started transitioning to product stuff, I worked on the initial like publications tool and feature. You know, we built custom domains and um, newsletters for publications on a bunch of tools around there. Worked on our interaction system. So like responses and like in-context responses, which we call quote responses. Worked on the API, which was a fun project. And then worked on, you know, kind of a homepage reorganization around what we called collections, but essentially, you know, topics or themes of, of content and a new browsable homepage and series, you know, pretty recently. And now I'm working in audio also. And now I'm working on um, some fun new member stuff. That's awesome. It's really cool to see that, you you know, you've been able to kind of dive into like many different aspects of the, the medium product. Yeah, it's been really fun. There's a lot of surface area. <laughs> so you just touched on it, but Medium launched a new way to create and share posts called Series like a few months back. Um, so what was it like creating and launching this specific feature? Yeah, that was a really fun project. And I think there were kind of two phases of that. So one was more of the discovery, prototyping, figuring out what it was phase. So we started with some theories and hypotheses around what we called entity-based consumption. So the main homepage of Medium today, or like most feeds and social platforms are content first, like individual pieces of content. And one of our theories was that, you know, on Medium, you build also a connection and affinity for writers that you care a lot about and publications that you care a lot about. And so we wanted to test the idea of like, you know, if we group things under sort of that umbrella, like, does that make for a more compelling experience? Um, also getting at some things like making it more completable. So for example, you know, seeing that like your face, like, you know, Tyler has three new stories and then I can tap into that and like catch up on the stuff that you've written um, and exploring that as like a model for consumption as opposed to just being sort of like feed and post first. So we started with that and then experimented around. And I think a big thing that we sort of fell into is that once you opened sort of that package, for lack of a better word, the experience was essentially just post listings again. So you'd have to tap again to like actually read the post. So we made it harder for people to actually get to the content they wanted to read. So then we were exploring ideas for like seamless consumption and like, you know, inline post expansion and stuff like that to make that more frictionless. And we kind of just were thinking a little bit more blue sky about what is a more interesting way to, to tell stories kind of got it like the pagination piece of what exists in series today. So for the prototyping part of that project, it was really fun because it was a very, very small team. And, you know, it was really just like no overhead. And we all sat together kind of like in isolation on the other side of the office, just grinding out a bunch of ideas, different prototypes. I think 
a big learning for me there was just having the sort of, I guess, trust and honesty with a team to honestly evaluate ideas, but not have that be taken personally or, or defensively. So I think we really got into a good relationship there. And once we settled on kind of the rough direction of what was to become series, then the team became a little larger and it was really more just like executing on that plan. And that probably was like one of the funnest times I've had at Medium. Like, I think it was just a combination of good team dynamics. Like we were working on this thing that felt really new and exciting. And everyone always had like different ideas for how to make it better. You know, we were testing it with a lot of beta users and internally. So it was just cool to sort of explore that landscape of, you know, new story type possibilities and feeling that out with an awesome team. So it was really fun. Absolutely. Sounds like a great experience. It's always fun to, to work on something new, you know, and, and have the possibility of the unknown, I guess, be, be right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Very exciting, but also terrifying. So it was a good mix. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, another new you know feature and, and product the Medium has introduced recently was the audio story. So why was that format something you guys you know wanted to explore and build off of right after launching series? With audio, just kind of thinking about Medium's mission of being a place for, you know, people to tell stories that matter to them and, you know, share their perspectives and ideas and really sort of democratizing, you know, access to publishing. We, you know, started with the written word and I think there's a lot of value in in the written word, but I think audio is also a really compelling medium for that mission and for things that otherwise wouldn't get told. I think some people are not writers and it's easier for some people to tell their story orally. And I think audio as a as a medium is super compelling and intimate in this weird way where like, I don't know if you guys had this experience on your podcast, but you know, we've met a couple of people who've listened to, you know, our podcast and they come up to, you know, Nicole or I and they're like, oh, I feel like, you know, we're friends or like, I know you guys. And yeah. I think <laughs> there is kind of a level of that in writing if you read, you know, an author over and over again, but there's something about just like having someone's voice in your earbuds that I think helps build more of that personal connection. And so that's that to me is something that was really exciting to explore. So we started, you know, with audio narrations as a member feature, really to sort of get at the idea of being able to access medium stories, you know, anywhere at any time. A lot of people commute and aren't able to necessarily read on their phone. But yeah, I think more broadly, just thinking about audio as a way for people to tell more expressive stories and share things that that matter to them. I think it's a really cool and like untapped medium to explore. So yeah, that was kind of part of the thinking behind that. And I mean, also, I just like really like podcasts. So I was like, maybe audio. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was about to ask, tight. like, was was that driven a little bit by your interest in podcasting or was it just a natural part of the roadmap? I think it really was more of a tactical part of the roadmap as we were thinking about member benefits around content at the time. But there are a lot of people here, I won't take all the credit, who really strongly believe in the, the future and promise of audio. So I think there was a lot of um, excitement for that direction. Sweet. And so, you know, as we've seen throughout the episode, you, you've had a ton of experience working on product and engineering uh, for quite some time. So how do you approach these two areas? Do you have any tips or processes around keeping, you know, the workflow either separate or do you blend them together and just make it one thing? Yeah, so I'm actually not really doing that much engineering in my day job these days. And this is something that I've been thinking about a little bit recently, because I feel like as a woman in tech, like transitioning from like a technical role to one that's not really as technical. I think once you make that jump, like people just view you as like non-technical. And I think there is like a gendered component to that, that I've like have been struggling with a little bit. So, I mean, like I haven't really coded here for probably the last like year, year and a half. I don't even know now a while. So my like workflow for engineering and product today is that I don't do engineering in my day job. Um, but for 
some of like the smaller projects or uh, other stuff I work on, like outside of work, I think that for me, I think engineering is easier for me to get in the mental state of just like being able to execute on, whereas like doing product thinking and sort of bigger picture, you know, prioritization of, of user problems and synthesizing down to like, here's really the problem we're trying to solve. And, you know, here's how we measure success and more of that thinking for me, I think needs to be like, isn't something I can just sort of will myself to do. So it's more, I have to be much more mindful about like making the space and time to like have dedicated uninterrupted focused blocks of stuff and I mean that was true of engineering as well like being able to actually just have hours to sit down and code but I think of like something that I've had to learn how to do is like really context switch and be balanced sort of being reactive and proactive like as a product manager so there's a bunch of things that you know are on the list of like stuff to define or like help scope or you know work with the team to like give some feedback but then there's also so much of my day is like interrupt driven that I try to be mindful of like if something something comes up and it's like super urgent, then I'll switch. But if it's not, I used to just sort of assume that I had to respond like right away. But now I'm like, hey, thanks for flagging, like put it on a list and make sure I don't forget about it. But and process it, but not immediately sort of like just continue to switch because otherwise I feel like you just get whiplash and aren't really able to do any like deep focused work. So that's been something that I is still obviously like a you know work in progress, but it's something I've been thinking about in terms of productivity as a product manager. Yeah, absolutely. It's so hard to get in the zone and, and get, un, you know, uninterrupted focus time to just be able to, to execute on, you know, whether it's product or engineering, be able to work through the process of, of defining everything and making sure that, you know, you're you're making progress in the sand. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned, you know, since joining the team at Medium? I think the biggest thing for me is that launching a feature is not success. It's really about follow through and iteration and like getting to the objective of what you're trying to solve. So yeah, I think that we do a good job of scoping down things that are like, you know, here's sort of the first version, but that sort of like discipline to follow through on the plan once something has been shipped and like continue to advocate for, hey, no, we need to like actually finish this feature set and like stuff like that. So with series, for example, you know, that was a whole new product, whole new surface area. And the way that we launched that was in a second tab, which helped minimize the risk of the initial sort of rollout. And we made that decision for good reasons. But you know, we had a plan to like actually integrate it in the rest of the app and like address discovery. Also discovery, like probably biggest lesson is just that it's very easy to talk about discovery is the most important thing. And like, it really just it has to be the most important thing, because it's not like one feature you can point to and say, okay, that's done. It is constant work and requires constant discipline and, and dedication. And I think that is like, just like not underestimating the work involved there, probably my two big things. So shifting gears a little bit, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded to use lately? So I read this interview with Shaq a while ago, where he's like trying to be this like tech connoisseur person. And he's like, I spend like $1,000 every week on apps. <laughs> I was like, for sure, Shaq, that's oh a lot God, of money that's crazy. to spend on apps. I don't know if that's like, you know, still, I think that was like from a couple of years ago, but I'm definitely not on Shaq's level where I'm dropping like a grand on apps every week. But I do kind of like casually peruse the app store every now and then just because it's a part of my job to kind of see what the patterns are and like see what's new and exciting. So I download like a whole bunch of random stuff, but most of the time I never really open them. So the ones that I've downloaded most recently are this Adidas all day app, which is like this workout app, apparently, I suppose. And what's another one I downloaded was cassette, which is like this voice transcript thing, which I was casually interested in, but didn't actually commit to using. But I would say the apps that I actually 
have recently installed that I use a lot are this writing app called Bear, uh, which is like this really cute and well-designed app that features a bear as its mascot. Um, and it's just like, you know, your other kind of basic like markdown editor, but it syncs across devices and it looks really nice. So I use that a lot for just kind of general notes and stuff on my phone. And then for a while I was doing, I was using like Todoist as my sort of to-do app thing, but then things came out with like their new version three or whatever. And it looked way less ugly. Also, I just hadn't gotten like a design update for like a long time. So it, you know, was showing its age. So I recently downloaded that and like, I'm back on the things productivity app train. I think those are my two, two that I actually use. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Bear. I'm just qu- starting the transition over from all the other note-taking apps that I, I've tried, but I think nice. Bear has uh, won me over. So it'll be good to kind of finally dive deep into it. It's a very yeah. nice app. Very nice app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did a good job. Um, so, so you had a recommendation on just like great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video, blog post? Yeah, so... I just finished Roxanne Gay's new book called Hunger, which I would definitely recommend. It is a story about, it's like a memoir of life in her body and her experience with sexual assault growing up and the effect that it's had on her throughout her life. So that I really enjoyed. And I think is, uh, I mean, she's such a gifted writer. So I really like that book. I subscribe to a lot of newsletters. I think the ones that I'm reading the most these days, my friends or one of my friend and someone who is his friend, but not my friend, started this tiny letter that is called the X-Files. And so they used to date and they're writing each other the series of letters sort of back and forth, just sort of about, you know, love and life and sort of everything in between. But like he has an MFA and just finished like, you know, his manuscript and novel. So it's just like a really beautiful kind of, you know, non nonfiction, but like also kind of removed from the very tensely charged, like political climate that we find ourselves in today. So that's been like a really nice escape and would definitely recommend that. And then as for stuff that I keep coming back to, like an author that I really love a lot, Julie Duo is a writer on Medium who's like, I think a VP of design at Facebook or something but she is doing this column that's sort of like weekly reader advice and she writes about productivity and management and work stuff in a way that isn't you know obviously just do this and like all your problems will be solved but with like a nice nuance um, and good perspective so I find myself coming back to that a lot as well yeah absolutely Julie's a great writer and I love that medium publication as well yeah yeah she does an awesome job so you're a podcaster yourself tell us about your show and what motivated you to start it yeah, so my sister and I, Nicole, had this podcast called Sweet and Sour, which is a show about this Asian American life, kind of covering, you know, culture and issues and sort of everything in between. So we've done like 12 episodes now, touching on a bunch of different things like, uh, you know, food and music and a lot of sort of media and tech and sort of that lens. So yeah, it's on iTunes. You can search for Sweet and Sour. It's also on Bumpers, bumpers.fm slash Sweet and Sour. We'd love to hear, hear what you think. And if you know awesome Asian American who are down to talk about stuff on the podcast, let us know. That's wicked. What uh, motivated you to start that podcast? Nicole and I really like working on creative projects together. So we've done a couple things and we were talking about what would be like wrapped up a couple of those projects. Like we did this letter writing project back and forth. And we kind of been just like texting each other a lot. Like if there were, I think Asian American representation in Hollywood has become a bigger issue in the last couple of years. And so as certain things sort of happened in that space, like they cast uh, another white person to play an Asian person in a movie, uh, Nicole and I would like text and be like, oh, like this sucks and blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, well, maybe 
maybe we could just talk about this more broadly. And we're also both big fans of Another Round, uh, which I think is a great podcast that centers sort of the experience of Black women, but also just touches on so many topics and I think does a really good job of showcasing the the breadth of that community. And like, but also like, it's not just about race. Like you don't have to be a Black woman to listen to it, but that that is like so embedded in you know, your identity, how you present to the world and how you like exist in the world. That was really inspiring to us as a way to sort of talk about and think about race, like not as a, I am Asian, like, and I spend all day like thinking about my Asian American identity struggles, like in that sort of explicit way. So yeah, we were listening to a lot of that and we were home for Thanksgiving and we were just like, hey, what if we made a podcast? So we went up to our makeshift studio in uh, our bedroom and then sat on the floor and recorded our first episode. (laughs) That's really cool. Congrats. So we've covered a lot of different things today. Do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? I think my motto for 2017 is live your best life. And whatever that means to you, I feel like you should find out what makes you happy and just do it. Um, I've been kind of obsessed about personality tests recently. Obviously, you know, people talk a lot about like Myers-Briggs and like what type you are. I'm an ENTJ, but there's this test called the Enneagram test. Have you heard of this? Don't think so, no. Okay. I don't actually know the origins, but my coworker, Emma, started taking it and putting like sending it around for everyone to take. So they basically have, I think, like nine types. And, you know, you take this sort of 52 question thing, you rate yourself. And some of the ratings are like, you know, are you uh, envious? Or are you well wishing and sort of like these different spectrums and stuff. So I got a type three, which is uh, the achiever. And the descriptions for these are also just like amazingly dark and kind of really real. So they're like, (laughs) TLDR of my type was basically like, I'm too focused on the presentation of success to attain like external validation. And you know, I may be successful and I work hard and this stuff. But my like, deep fear is that I'm like afraid of becoming a loser. And, you know, threes apparently require sort of external validation. So you attempt to embody the image of success that's projected on you by society and not your actual internal happiness. And I was like, damn, okay, personality test, like really (laughs) get, get into it. Anyway, so that's a lot of where my head has been at recently, but just kind of thinking about, you know, like, yeah, what, what are you chasing and why? And like, is it really making you happy? Or like, we're the Instagram generation, and it's really hard to not be affected by everything that we consume and to think that we want avocado toast because everyone on our Instagram feed has avocado toast? Or is it because you really love avocado toast? And if you do, then great, like live your best life. But if not, like find the thing that really matters to you. So I've been trying to do more of that recently and not be so focused on the external presentation of success or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Now you've got me curious about I'm going to have to you'll have to send me us the link uh, for for the personality test. I'm like, I want to take this. This is like this thing isn't lying. This thing's uh, straight up. Yeah, it's real. So my boyfriend and I took it. Well, we each took it for ourselves. And then he was like, that's not accurate. Like everyone just like gives himself like a better rating or whatever. And I was like, fine. Like, like, and he was like, we should take it for each other. I was like, okay. But we ended up getting like he got type three for me as well. So I was like, okay, at least his perception of me is like consistent with my perception. But yeah, I'll send it and you can put in the show notes or whatever and listeners can also see what see what their type is kind of a fun fun dumb thing absolutely katie thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us yeah, today. it was amazing you. to have you on the show thank you so much if you've enjoyed this podcast we'd love to hear about it and have you share it with friends find us on facebook or twitter at hack to start or drop us a line hey at hack to You can also subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes by finding Hack to Start on Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.